Hello, good evening and welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. Uh, in tonight's discussion, we're going to be focusing on a British charity that endorses apartheid and genocide. And it boasts two former Labour Prime Ministers among its patrons, namely Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, both of whom are notorious supporters of the Zionist Jewish Labour movement. The charity is the so-called Jewish National Fund UK, or JNF. This charity funded the development of a park on the site where Palestinian villagers previously stood. These villages were demolished as part of Israel's ongoing policy of ethnic cleansing. The JNF is a pillar of Israeli apartheid and a militant component of the Zionist coalition that's hell-bent on the ethnic cleansing of the entire land surface of Palestine. A key part of this project involves creating forests to cover past scenes of crime. These once thriving communities were destroyed by Zionist militias. Many of the inhabitants were massacred and their homes were razed to the ground in order to stop any survivors from returning. These actions constitute war crimes, yet nobody's been held to account. So joining us tonight to discuss this issue are Amina Abdul Khaliq. Amina is a nurse and an educator, and she's a member of the Scottish Palestine Solidarity Campaign. Her father was born in Palestine, but he was one of those forced to flee as a refugee. Our other guest is Mick Napier. He's the chair of the Scottish Palestine Solidarity Campaign, and he's a lifelong socialist and anti-racist campaigner. He also holds a distinction as the only Scot who's been certified free of racism by two Scottish courts. And perhaps later in the programme, we can get into a little bit of uh, the background to that if we if we could, Mick. But perhaps if I could start with you, Mick, and if you could maybe just sort of uh, uh, map out a bit more detail about this organisation and, and why it is the Scottish uh, uh, Palestine Solidarity Campaign has been so active in trying to expose their activities. I'll try to be very brief, Chris. The okay. JNF um, is one of... 40 or 50 civil charities around the world uh, with a parent organization in Israel. It uh, controls, the, the parent organization controls 94% of the land surface of Israel. Well, 4867 Israel. And on that land, uh, Palestinians live, may not rent, may not lease. It's only for the benefit of Jews. Even if, and this happened once or twice, even if the, the land seizures which took place with massacre and, and terrible bloodshed in 48, uh, some of the land ended up in the hands of a Jewish citizen who had an attack of conscience and wanted to return the land to its rightful Palestinian owner, that is not allowed. It cannot be alienated to non-Jews. It is a apartheid system. This is, a, this is an intensely racist organisation um, can you imagine London or Manchester or Glasgow where black people could not live in 80, 95% of a city because they were the wrong kind of people? That's Israel. That's not the occupied territories. That's, that's Israel uh, everywhere. Um, and it's right in front of your face. There's nothing hidden about it. It's not occult. And the organization is not only, not only runs an apartheid residential system, and it runs it on behalf of the Israeli government. You see, in apartheid South Africa, the government there would pass laws that, you know, toilets for black people and toilets for white people and brown people and park benches and this and that. It's so-called petty apartheid. The Israeli government largely avoided that by subcontracting 
residential apartheid to the JNF, which, smoke and mirrors, is an Israeli parastatal. It doesn't act without the direction and endorsement of the Israeli government, but it claims to be independent and it claims to be an independent charity in England and a slightly separate one in Scotland. So smoke and mirrors, we've got a charity here in Britain which is up to its ears in ethnic cleansing. And it's not a historical uh, reality. It is still involved in the ethnic in the so-called eviction of Palestinian families from East Jerusalem. And eviction is not ugly workings of capitalism where you fall behind with the rent and you get booted out onto the street, which is brutal enough. It's driving people out because they are Palestinians. And that land has to be taken from them and, uh, and allocated exclusively to Jews from Brooklyn or Vladivostok or, or Oklahoma or wherever. And the, the native Palestinian people are just warehoused uh, prior to being uh, kicked out. And, in, 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 you know, the, the Israelis want all of Palestine with as few, preferably no Palestinians. Now, it gets it's not just really ugly today. Um, I'd have to tell you now that when I begin to describe the history of the JNF, I, when the, in the good old days when we could meet in the rooms, I used to keep my voice down in case anybody passing thought it was a BNP meeting. Because if I tell you the extreme racism of some of the founders of the JNF, your viewers, I hope, will find it shocking, uh, but shocking enough to go away and, and study it and confirm what I'm saying. Look, the Zionists bought into the anti-Semitic idea that Jews should not stay in Europe and should leave. Zionists wanted them to go to Palestine. Uh, uh, Anti-Semites wanted just to kick them out because they were Jews and they were they were racists. Yeah, they bought into the same idea as as the, as the anti-Semites, and they increased increasingly. And to sound exactly the same. So, for example, a guy called Arthur Rupin, one of the founders, one of the icons of Zionism. Everybody knows Ben-Gurion. You might even know Chaim Weizmann. Rupin's probably number three. In fact, his name, his, his name is given to a boulevard that runs around the Israeli parliament. He's not a drunk in a pub. He's a major figure. He's known as the father of settlement in the land of Israel, uh, a Zionist term. Now, he was a, he was a really rancid uh, racist in Germany before the First World War. And when when anti-Semitism pushed him out of his fencing clubs and dueling societies, he took the whole thing with him into Zionism. And I tell you this, the, the, the main man in the history of the JNF was a, he actually said, <laughs> you can't, you know, you can't make this up. I'm not creative enough. He said the original Jews in ancient Palestine were not uh, Semites, they were Aryans, noble sons of the soil, who were corrupted by an infusion of Semitic genes, which predisposed them towards money lending and other parasitical behaviours. This is disgusting anti-Semitism from anyone's mouth, and that was the ideas that, that were there at the founding of the JNF. Today, it is still racist. It's not like 19... 19th century racist, but it's still a vicious settler colonial uh, institution. And Tony Blair is a patron, and Gordon Brown's a patron. By the way, and this will shock people again, even David Cameron and Nick Clegg and uh, one of the, uh, what's his name, uh, the, the, the previous Labour leader, 
um, son of a worthy socialist, Ed Miliband. Uh, they all dumped the JNF. It used to be that all three party leaders, soon after being party leader, would become a patron of the JNF. And that was a tradition going way back to the uh, 100 years nearly. David Cameron dumped them, not because he isn't a nasty Zionist, because he thought they were toxic, that they could blow up in his face. It was a bit transparent, a bit too much like the Ku Klux Klan. And, and Nick Clegg refused the invitation to become an honorary patron, and so did Ed Miliband. Brown and Blair stayed on. His crimes didn't end with the occupation of Iraq and the massacres that took place there. He's still fronting for a criminal organization. And here's, here's the test. If the GNF did in Britain what it does in Palestine, Israel, it would be a criminal organization. It would never be allowed. It's inconceivable that it would be allowed, that you can buy land or seize land or steal land and then say this is only for white people. But that's what the GNF does. So, yes, I think it's a criminalization in terms of international law. But, you know, if the mafia had really taken over South Chicago, um, and founded a state, they would have passed a series of laws similar to the JNF. So it, what I'm talking about is legal in Israel, but it wouldn't be legal in too many other jurisdictions, Chris. There's so much, so much more that could be said, but I'm very happy to answer questions if people throw them up, because I set out to say things that people would find unbelievable, but they are all too true. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, let me bring in uh, Amina and just get uh, her response as well because i understand amina that some of these uh, forests that they are creating they uh, name them after um, iconic anti-racist campaigners as i understand it could you say a little bit about that perhaps Yes, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thanks very much for having me, Chris. I'm really happy to be here. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, and this actually adds fuel to the fire almost, um, as if they've not already stripped so low that they actually bring in significant peace figures uh, and activists, um, you know, from the civil rights movement, etc., to actually name their forests and parks that they've usurped um, to uh, basically use their names to, to represent um, uh, the, the park. Uh, an example is the Creta Scott King Forest. Uh, now, this forest um, resides in part of the larger Beria Forest, which is just in the northern Galilee, the most northern uh, part of, of what is Israel proper. And the, very, the GNF very explicitly and quite proudly um, state that um, they are perpetuating the message of equality and peace that was um, propagated by Creta Scott King, the late Creta Scott King and her, and her late husband, Martin Luther King, as if almost uh, this peace initiative, this peace facade, if you like, is synonymous with what the GNF and the wider Zionist project are engaged in. And it's actually a complete affront to use the names of these people um, to somehow um, feign uh, alignment and um, uh, the sameness with, with Israel uh, and, and these these people, these these famous figureheads. Um, so that actually, you know, almost makes it even more. If it wasn't so true, it would be laughable, you know. And it's absolutely a front, and, and it should be stopped, and it, mm. it, it shouldn't be allowed. Yes, I mean, and I also understand there's not not just kind of anti-racist icons, but do they not have another forest, the Memoria Forest, which is a, a tribute to so, uh, anti-fascism, and yet uh, 
again, I don't know whether Amina or you make want to, to sort of pick up on this and just the kind of history of that and the fact that the Israeli regime, which, as I understand it, seems to say that Jewish people from anywhere around the world have a, have a right to uh, so-called return there, and yet uh, Argentinian Jewish leftists who were subject to the right-wing junta and were horribly tortured and, and, and indeed many killed, um, were refused a passport uh, back in those dark days under that right-wing junta in uh, Argentina. Uh, you know, the hypocrisy is quite astonishing, and yet very few people, uh, even people who are interested in this issue, I think, are, are aware of it. I don't know if either of you maybe want to say a little bit about, about that and, and why it is that it, it, it's almost like a, a well-guarded sort of secret, the, the kind of backstory to this organisation. Well, I think they're 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 very clever in, in what they do. They, they um, you know, they're very good at it. The Jewish Jewish National Fund have been around for 120 years, so they've really capitalised on their ecological, environmental um, sort of um, facade framework front that they are sort of pushing out there. It's very popular, of course, now even more so with the climate change awareness over the last 10, 15 years. So really, it does gain a lot of momentum around its supporters as well. And I just want to say just one thing about the significance of planting trees. You know, it's not an accident that they want to plant trees and create these forests. Um, it's very symbolic, but it's a strategic goal. Um, they know that um, planting forests or afforestation is going to ward off any Palestinians from trying to claim back any territory. You know, you're not allowed to cut down trees and cut down forests. So it's a very strategic implement that they're using. Um, moreover, the pine tree, which um, is uh, what they're actually planting um, in over 50% of the forests um, in Israel proper are composed of pine tree, is not actually an indigenous species to that region. Um, so um, they not only plant in, in, in millions of pine trees, they also uproot and turn a blind eye when Palestinian olive trees are um, cut down, um, uprooted and destroyed. So it's a it's a two-way process, deforesting Palestinian olive trees, which in Mosaic law, uh, I've only heard this last week, is actually prohibited uh, to mm. cut down a tree-bearing tree bearing fruit um, and also planting the pine tree, which is needing somewhat larger amounts of cultivation to actually keep alive and to propagate um, in a climate and an area that it's just not indigenous to. No, indeed. Uh, I don't know if you've got it. Yes, yes, please do. Please do. Yes. Because it really burns me up, you know. Um, There is a forest called the Memoria Forest. It's there to preserve memory. And it claims to be a homage uh, to those who were murdered by the Argentine junta, which actually butchered 30,000 Argentines. Now, because Jews at that time, very similar to Britain in the 30s and 40s, were disproportionately aligned with the left, there was a dis unlike Britain today, where most of them were Tory, um, there was a disproportionate number of Jews killed. I think 30,000 killed, 3,000 of the citizens were Jewish. So they, they set up this memorial in Israel-Palestine, it was uh, opened up by a chief justice from the Argentine court. Diplomats came, ministers came, and it says it's there to honour those who were killed by the junta. But 
The fact is that junta was so monstrous that the US Congress was forced to apply an arms embargo on, on Argentina. You have to, you have to think you'd imagine it happened. Israel filled the gap. Israel was the major armorer of the Argentine junta. Mm. More Argentine officers were trained in Israel than in any other country during the massacres, where socialists like you and me were taken on helicopters over the South Atlantic and dropped into the ocean to their death. And one of the notorious torturers later said that he owed a lot to a Inbar somebody, I forget his name, somebody from the Israeli embassy who helped him um, and later became Israeli ambassador mm. to Spain. Young Jews were tortured in rooms with pictures of Adolf Hitler on the wall and of, 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 the, of the Navy uh, killers, etc. Um, but the Israeli embassy had a fantastic relationship with that government and refused all pleas um, for support. You, I mean, Chris, you're not quite old enough, son, but some of us during the, during the Chile solidarity campaign were able to get jobs for Chilean prisoners. And if you could yeah. get a job in a Clydeside shipyard or, a, or a, a, North, you know, a, a Newcastle drawing office or something, you could spring them from the, from the torture chambers. And we did that with a, a, a number of people. I still see one or two of them around Edinburgh to, to this day. The same was true for Argentina. And if Israel had given claims to support Jews, if Israel had given passports to these Jews, they would have been sprung from the torture chamber. were left-wing Jews and Israel told them just to stay where they were. And they were tortured and killed. The, 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 the main spokesman for the, um, for the Buenos Aires Jewish community was called Jacobo Timerman. He was very famous in Israel. This is not hidden. Um, and he said, look, he can forgive the torturers if enough time passes, but he'll never forgive the fact that it was Israel which facilitated and helped uh, the, the uh, torturing and killing of Jews in Argentina. It's an open book, right? People can see it if they want. The JNF is, is one institution in this, uh, in this monstrous uh, colonial project. How is it then that Tony Blair and Gordon Brown have been able to continue on as patrons with, without any criticism, would either of you think? What, what, what would you say about that? You know more about that than I do, Chris. I mean, how, how is it that decent anti-racists get, get slung out as racist and uh, the most vile elements, <laughs> Margaret Hodge and Tony Blair, are allowed to have a great career. To this day, Tony Blair cannot appear in public anywhere, I think. Certainly not in Scotland, uh, but I think any in Britain. Uh, but he's still a major figure on, on the Labour right. So crimes are forgiven if they're crimes in the service of empire. Um, mm. Beyond that beyond that generality, I cannot go. But I don't think the Labour Party is good at, at ferreting out right-wingers. It seems to be a machine... A bulldozer that can only against the left, yeah? Oh, well, that's pretty clear. And, I mean, and that's been the case perhaps really for a very long time, but it's but it's gone into overdrive uh, now. But uh, yeah. Gordon Brown has a, has a, has a more, um, you know, benign sort of uh, reputation, in, uh, you know, publicly still. Uh, and yet he's still a patron. I mean, uh, how is this possible? Why isn't pe more people in the Labour Party, do you think, I mean, are uh, speaking out about it? I mean, do you think it's for lack of awareness or or what? Yeah, I think it is really a lack of awareness. Um, as I said previously, um, you know, the, the average person on the street has probably never heard of the JNF. 
Um, and, you know, anyone who just wanted to, you know, do a quick Google search will, will find something that's so appealing to the eye vis-a-vis -vis their, their website and, and what they stand for, quote unquote. And I think with Gordon Brown, you know, I mean, I don't know if he's even still an MP, is he? I think he's still an MP somewhere, no. possibly not no. anymore. No. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's easy for him to continue his, continue his patronage. It goes unchallenged. And um, there has been previous attempts to challenge that. And he's kind of just brushed them off because there's no real mainstream opposition to the GNF and all that they stand for. And that's what Mick, I and, and others uh, are hoping to to do um, you know, via shows like this and various other um, mediums to try to um, bring awareness about this group, um, Zionist enterprise, to sort of the wider population. I mean, I wonder if the, the name Jewish National Front uh, deters uh, people from uh, criticising it for fear that they may be labelled uh, an anti-Semite. What do you think to that, mate? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Um, you know, you can, <laughs> you can oppose the mafia without being anti-Italian. You know, you can oppose the Ku Klux Klan. It's not because you hate people in Mississippi. You hate the institutions and the political movement that has taken root to some degree. I mean, I'm against political loyalism um, in Northern Ireland. I would oppose it, but it's not because I hate Protestants. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. And anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism are two entirely different things. One's a healthy political set of beliefs uh, that wants to see democracy flourish in, in that part of the Middle East against the Zionist uh, uh, racism and the other one's a racist uh, a racist uh, idea can i just say a, a word about gordon brown um if any of your viewers chris were are interested just google gordon brown's speech to the knesset and uh, it's really stomach churning because brown went there he was a he was a dedicated ideological zionist uh, arabs and palestinians were nothing to him he just thought israel was a wonderful thing from start to finish it's pretty stomach churning to hear him. The video is available and the, the verbatim speech is published by the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs. You can read it. He actually honours Menachem Begin. Now, Menachem Begin was not just an Israeli prime minister. He was the butcher of Deri Asin. He was the man who organised the slaughter of uh, hundreds of people in, Palestine, in this Palestinian village in order to terrorise others to flee. Menachem Begin was was an absolute brute, and uh, and there, there goes Gordon Brown to the Israeli Parliament and says he was he's humbled by uh, people like Menachem Begin. He shouldn't be humbled. Menachem Begin, in a you know, would have would have done several life sentences if uh, justice had ever caught up with him. But Brown gets away with that. Look, the Labour Party, the Labour Party, I know. I didn't spend my, my political life in the Labour Party except for a few hours when I was um, 16. Um, but the Labour Party actually beat Balfour uh, to, the, to the punch. They issued a call before Balfour, which was even more Balfourish than he, calling for uh, the Jewish colonisation of Palestine. And even the most radical Labour government in '45 accepted a report calling on... Uh, Palestinians to move out and make way for income from Europe. 
you know, as Africans would do that for white people for Europe. It's, so the, the history of the Labour Party, the, the, the interlude with Jeremy Corbyn um, still has to be put against, uh, you know, Tony Blair and other administrations before that. And even when they were fully radical at home, or radical a bit, they were often just guardians of empire abroad. I mean, the, the, the horrible, uh, the horrible mass, mass killing and, and concentration camp building and rape in Kenya to put down the uh, the land and freedom army who wanted to get so-called white farms uh, taken off them. That was that was done under Tory and Labour administrations. So, you know, the Brown's part of the of the tradition, I think. Yeah. Uh I was struggling to hear much of that, unfortunately, uh, Mick. I don't know if uh, Mossad are, are playing up with my uh, communication uh, stuff uh, this evening. But, uh, I've had all sorts of technical difficulties. But uh, and apologies if you've already covered this in your response there, because as I say, I was uh, really struggling to, to hear you through my uh, headphones here, but I've managed to correct it now, thankfully. Um, but I'm just going to actually ask if, uh, I mean, given this organisation uh, is a very dubious one, is there any scope for it to be reported to the Charity Commission or the Scottish equivalent? Or has that already been done? Shall I deal with that, Amina? Do you want yeah, to... go, go for it, Mike. You're, you're pretty central on that. So, yeah, you, you go for it. I mean, by the way, I'm not chair of the Scottish Palestine Solidarity Campaign. Oh, I've, I've been retired. Uh, we've got a fine uh, Irish Scandrit who's the chair. I'm still on the National Committee. Um, I do beg your uh, I was elevating no, uh, no, in your... <laughs> Yeah, no worries. Um, the Charities Commission, <laughs> I mean, let me just take a sidestep. The Charities Commission is a, a junior arm of the British state. Does anyone cut trust? The cut trust was uh, nothing to do with Palestine. <laughs> it was it was a charity to raise money for, for good deeds. And it turned out they were donating like 25p per £100. Uh, towards good deeds. It was a huge money laundering operation. And so huge was the scandal it had to be shut down about four or five years ago. Cup trust, uh, monosyllabic, uh, easy to remember. So this 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 is not a mechanism, the Charities Commission. Um, I seem to remember George Galloway and uh, Viva Palestina was forced, which wasn't a charity, it was a political movement of taking aid to Palestine, I seem to remember they were forced to become a charity so that the Charity Commission could discipline them. Uh, and that's actually what happened. Um, in terms of the Charities Commission, every Zionist charity gets away with murder. Every Muslim charity or left-wing charity, War on Want is constantly being harassed by the Charities Commission, founded by trade unions. War on Want founded by trade unions and doing great stuff, but are constantly under pressure from the Charities Commission who turn a blind eye to all sorts of nefarious deeds. We've tried, we started off maybe 15 years ago to try to bring to the attention of the Charities Commission what was going on and to say this was criminal. It's been fobbed off. It's, you know, it's like the BBC Complaints Department. They just fob you off. Um, and occasionally they'll they'll be forced to take cognizance of some things that, um, that, that you bring to their attention. And they just say, they've actually said, Chris, can you believe this? They've actually said they don't police charities in terms of what they do. They only pay attention to what charities say they were set up to do, right? Uh, th that's a beauty. William Shawcross was one, ba was one, one back, was uh, head of the division. 
He was parachuted in by Cameron from a very role in the Henry Jackson Society. The Henry Jackson Society is an extreme right-wing organization. It's founded to, to, to blend, bring together uh, the neocons in the USA and the, and the pro-Israel movement in a tight embrace. I mean, it's a nasty, nasty racist organization. But Shawcross was brought in from there, parachuted in to head the Charities Commission um, that well for quite a lot. So it's not a neutral organization. It's not... I mean, if you get into a, if you get into a civil case in court, as long as you've got enough money, it can be a level playing field. You know, you, the, the witnesses will be cross-examined by your expensive QC and they can be demolished. Charities Commission ain't like that. It's a defence um, for the interests of the British state and its record is absolutely dreadful. Let me ask that because uh, the Institute for Statecraft you're probably familiar with, uh, which is based, or at least ways notionally, got its base up in Scotland in a derelict mill. I made a complaint to the Scottish uh, charity regulator and uh, they did actually call uh, uh, them to account to some extent. I mean, it was a limited criticism, but nevertheless, they did find that they were acting uh, ultra-vires, as it were. There was uh, some fairly significant uh, criticisms made of them. And I just wondered, therefore, whether or not was, that was an avenue that, that you know, potentially could be tried. But I take your point. Uh, that, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, I mean, no, that's great. I mean, you you were bloody persistent. Uh, we've been persistent as well, but we have not drawn any blood, to be honest. And they've been defended all. And this is this is going back well over a decade, Chris. Yeah. yeah. So, Amina, just before we bring in um, Lizzie then with uh, responses and uh, comments, questions potentially from our audience, uh, what would you say to people watching who are concerned about this? What could they do? I mean, if somebody would like to get involved or sort of take action about the JNF to to challenge what they're up to, I mean, what, what sort of action could our viewers be taking on this issue? Well, with every action, there comes a, a thought and an idea in your head. And first of all, become knowledgeable. Um, if you're not already knowledgeable about, you know, the GNF, become knowledgeable about the Israel-Palestine co um, conflict, for want of a better word, issue. Um, and that will very, very quickly bring you on to becoming knowledgeable and have an understanding on, on the GNF itself. Um Become educated. Join Stop the JNF. Join Scottish Palestine Solidarity Campaign. Um, become active on social media. Um, and um, you know the JNF in Scotland don't advertise their fundraisers anymore. Um, largely as a result of the successes that Scottish PSC have had in protesting um, their presence in Scotland. Um, I don't think Mick can correct me, but I don't think they've had a um, publicised fundraiser now for maybe six years or so. Um, I don't know if that's correct or not. Um, and just um, attending protests, standing up for uh, the rights of the, of the Palestinians in, in, in the broader sense. You know, I don't know about you, but given the anti-Semitism, uh, the phony anti-Semitism uh, crisis that was uh, manufactured uh, inside the uh, Labour Party to destabilise Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. It seems to me to have had, uh, well, it certainly had the effect of obviously <laughs> taking down Jeremy Corbyn and people like myself, but it's also, I think, raised the awareness, raised the consciousness of, of people about the Palestinian issue and the uh, appalling uh, brutality that is meted out by the 
Israeli state. And there was a demonstration in Derby uh, during the last uh, bombardment in Gaza. And it's the biggest rally that we've ever had in Derby. And that, as I understand it, was replicated up and down the country. So, I mean, are you kind of hopeful, optimistic about changing public attitude? Because it seems certainly if Derby's anything to go by, there does definitely seem to have been a sea change. We had two rallies, one rally I, which I addressed, another rally I came latterly to, but there was a march through the city of Derby as well, met at one point and congregated at the uh, place where we had the rally the previous week. And uh, shoppers were coming out and applauding. People were coming out of the pub and applauding. People were joining. People who went shopping were then joining in the march. It was quite an astonishing and uplifting um, uh, sight to behold, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, so just from a local perspective where I live in Derby, it, 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 you know, it looks positive just in terms of that consciousness raising. But I don't know if that's something that you have seen you know, in other parts of the country. Yeah, I mean, public awareness has dramatically shifted over the last five, ten years or so. You know, 20 years ago, um, when, you know, Scottish PSE started and others, um, it was, you know, there was quite a bit of resistance. Um, You really were pushing against a tide of pro-Israeli voices. And um, the media, of course, um, you know, one or two decades ago, um, heavily biased against the Palestinian resistance. Um, of course, anyone who resisted the Zionist state were terrorists. And that played out very well, particularly around about 9-11 as well. It fitted into that narrative. And that was something the Zionists would probably be quite happy about, that they were winning against the displaced, underprivileged, besieged Palestinians. But I think, you know, there's only so long a Zionist state and a, and a supremacist racist state can can get away with their uh, with their ploys and their actions. Um, and very quickly over the last five to ten years, specifically, I think for me anyway, I, I noticed a, a big shift um, after Operation Cast Lead, which was in 2008-2009, where images of buildings that are get civilian buildings getting bombed relentlessly and um, uh, resulting in mass casualties. And then again in 2012-2014 and, and just recently as well, the world is watching the Zionist state and with young activism now it's you know rife now and it's great and it's brilliant to see young activists particularly from Palestine as well and I think that's that's where it really counts the young voices coming out from Palestine with their social media showing all these images to the world and getting the, the the real story out the truth out I think it's it's been too late in coming but it finally has come and even amongst polls of Jewish people in, in America Israel is rapidly losing support and I just feel personally that there's only so long that they can get away with their racist supremacist ideas. The ideas the idea somehow that they can be both Jewish and democratic state as an oxymoron within itself. How that can be yeah. defended, um, you know, that that's that's for all for all to see. Um and I think it's great what the young activists are doing now not only in Palestine, but across the world, with BDS, of course, um, growing momentum as well. So public opinion has changed, um, and I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah. 
I mean, you've been around a long time, Mick, just again, before I uh, bring in Lizzie, just, just very finally. Um, do you think the Zionist lobby has overreached itself now then? Of course, of course. Um, you, you can never be sure where the high water mark is, but I think they've reached it. And, you know, uh, think about this. In Oakland, California, during the recent um, attacks on Gaza and the fascist gangs attacking Palestinians across Israel, which the BBC called a community conflict, um, 2,000 people um, came out on a community picket of an Israeli ship coming into Oakland docks yes. in California. They turned the ship away. The same thing happened, not the same thing, ships were also turned away in Italy and in Sweden, and over the years have been turned away in, in India and, and, and various other countries. Yeah, Israel Africa. knows... Yes, of course. Sorry, I forget the, the big one. Yeah, uh, Durban yeah. Port. Israeli ships don't go in. Um, Israel can be defeated. They can kill urban dockers or, or the 2,000 community picket that turns out at Oakland Port. Yes. I mean, I would only add one small correct, not a correction, but... Uh, to what, to what Amina said, as far as long ago as 2004, the EU conducted a poll of citizens across the entire EU at that time. Israel was a poll in terms of hostility and seen by citizens from from Berlin to, to Birmingham and was seen everywhere as a, a threat to world peace. The EU foreign affairs spokesman apologised to the Israel for the opinions yeah. of EU citizens. Yeah. Now, guided our approach from the very beginning as a campaign, Chris. We know the point, and it only gets worse for Israel and gets better for us. And when Amnesty, in a month or so, joins Human Rights Watch and uh, other groups to say Israel is a is an apartheid Church of Christ, a major a major mainstream American church last week said that Israel was an apartheid state and really came out with guns blazing against the Christian Zionists. So, it, it's, it, I mean, it's only going one way because you can't spin what Israel does anything other than barbarism. And we distinguish mm -hmm. massively between the public discourse and the public domain um, and what people really think and feel. And when that thinking and feeling is made public, Israel, Israel... I mean, they know, and they know that, you know, they discuss it openly. Yeah, so I mean, I think, uh, as I guess a crisis, when, uh, and a crisis I, guess, I guess when, I guess when the, uh, I'll have a problem by the thing again here, probably about that. Um, uh, I, I guess when in uh, the United States, they no longer see Israel as uh, strategically important or indeed politically important, if Indeed, they don't feel politicians, in order to get elected, they have to court the kind of Christian Zionists or the Christian Zionists in the States are no longer as influential. Then that might be curtains for uh, the apartheid state of, of Israel. But uh, obviously, time time will tell on that. Let's, uh, let, unless you wanted to come back on that, did you, mate? Sorry, you'd no, I'll leave it to Amina and you. Yeah, cool. Uh, well, let me go to Lizzie then, because uh, as I say, my audios are played, but I'm struggling to kind of uh, keep uh, track of what uh, is going on, unfortunately. So uh, uh, let me just go over to, to Lizzie. And uh, Lizzie, you take over from here. What have our audience been saying this evening? 
Hi. Well, a, a lot of people have been actually listen, riveted to the conversation. Uh, nobody had heard of the JNF before. So, uh, and we've had, you know, a fair few viewers and not no one's heard of them. Uh, we, we did ask, um, how can, Becky asked, how can the JNF be registered as a charity in the UK? As they're political and charities are forbidden from being political. I'll come in. The, the, the JNF was set up in 91 and they, they, they commissioned a study. They, they got a couple of uh, very expensive lawyers who made a study, should they apply to be a charity in Britain? And they came back to the GNF and said, don't even think about it. We're a political campaign. We're there to colonise Palestine. You'll never be a charity. Actually, the House of Lords was won over about 20, 25 years later, and the GNF was installed as a charity. But, you know, that kind of colonising nature was extremely popular at the time among British elites. Um there's a long tradition in Britain. I mean, Christian Zionism in Britain long predates, predates by decades and decades, uh, Jewish Zionism that was really essentially founded by Herzl. That Christian Zionism from the Bible and it also was of strategic value to the empire, the two went together, that's got a long tradition going way back to almost the end of the, the beginning of the 19th century. So the, the, it was allowed to become a charity. Why? This is the whole point of the conversation. It's an it's a it's an arm of the Israeli state. It's a parastatal. Um, now, why should an arm of the Israeli state become a British charity and a Belgian and a Brazilian and a not in South Africa and and a charity in many many other countries? There's the mystery. It should not be. It is. Yeah. Yeah, because the uh, also apart from the fact that Tony Blyer and Gordon Brown. A patron. So is the Prime Minister and President of Israel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is there something wrong with the Charity Commission? I think you touched on that earlier. Yes, there is something wrong. And then you talked about Shawcross. Um, he is now um, one of the investors in the Jewish Chronicle, alongside John Ware. Yeah. Um, what, what, what was your opinion on the Panorama um, program? That, that's... The, one, the one that John Wert was a scandal. It's an outrage. Uh, when you contrast that with real TV, um, the uh, the Al Jazeera four part uh, documentary, which showed uh, a sting operation, showed the Israeli embassy uh, blithely saying, that, "Oh, we've got a million quid for Labour Friends of Israel," um, and you know talking about bringing down a minister who was instantly pro-Israel. Uh, that's on television. What we have did was, was, it's the BBC at a new low. I mean, I, I'm not one of those who think there was a golden age of the BBC. During the miners' strike, we saw what we could do. Yeah, but absolutely. it can get lower. It can get lower. And uh, yeah. and I think where is going to be hard to beat in terms of absolutely degenerate uh, uh, journalism. Yeah. How how long did it take, do you know, how long did it take to free South Africa from the apartheid regime? That was a lot of years, wasn't it? Do you think that there is an end in sight for, for Israel? You know, they can't, everybody knows now, everybody's starting to know that it is an apartheid, uh, you know, endeavour. 
So uh, do you think that this is the beginning of the end for them? Yes, I do. I think it is the beginning of the end. I think it's been the beginning of the end for some years now. And um, the state will eventually, you know, capitulate. The, the crimes there have to stop um, and we have to hold the international court has to hold those responsible for those crimes and then you know Palestinians and Israelis um, have to um, coexist in a way that um, is is affords the Palestinians their rights and their equality and the freedoms that are are granted to them under under international law. I think the BDS movement is a significant cog in the wheel for for the Israeli state to um, um, to be to, to admit to to, to their crimes and, and their um, obligations that they've not upheld under international law. Um, but they are upping the ante as well. Um, they're becoming more violent, um, more fascistic in their methods as well. And the power of the people, I'm sure, will prevail one day. And it can take a small act. You know, No one envisaged the Berlin Wall to come down when it did. Um, even South Africa, um, no one really envisaged um, how that would eventually topple and the apartheid state, state there. But we need to um, build on the pressure and more and more people are becoming aware and um, that's what we need. Uh, and we need to maintain that momentum as well. I mean, well, just on we... the BDS, Lizzie, before you come back in there, I mean, there's obviously efforts being made to find out more at BDS and certainly local authorities, I believe that there is uh, plans to legislate to that will effectively make it uh, impossible for local authorities to take a stand. And we've had some great examples of that. I mean, I'd love to see, you know, the days of municipal socialism seem to be long gone, but I'd love to see local authorities being in a situation where they were able to to make that stand and to represent. I mean, certainly if I take Derby, for example, given what I was just mentioning Previously there, I think uh, the public opinion in Derby would certainly support a BDS uh, position being taken by the local authority. But that's going to be, as I understand it, going to be made um, impossible with the legislation the government's pushing through. Mick? Yeah, there's all sorts of moves. I think 25 or so US states have passed legislation uh, effectively criminalising BDS. But that's hotly contested by all sorts of opinion in the USA. And I'd have to say, I've got a Canadian passport. The same week that the Canadian Parliament effectively criminalised BDS, Vancouver Dockers turned away an Israeli ship. Yeah. So, so you know, there are laws. Thatcher passed laws against uh, boycotting by local authorities of the apartheid regime there. In fact, I recall giving a presentation to Edinburgh City Council um, and their legal guy was trotted out, legal woman was trotted out, and she said, no, you can't do it. You can't boycott uh, Veolia uh, because of legislation passed by the Thatcher government during the apartheid year in South Africa. Uh, well, you could, they could. They did it and on the, they did it furtively. They didn't come out and say it, but they actually dropped Veolia from the contract that they were bidding for. And, you know, they can pass law. I mean, there are four Scottish local authorities already. Uh, have full BDS policies, complete boycott of Israel, Western Bartonshire, Stirling, Midlothian, and tiny Clackmannanshire. All of them, by the way, passed by individual independent socialists who took hmm. the bit between their teeth during a massacre and raised the matter in their council, and it was carried usually NEMCON or, or unanimously. Maybe the Tories were away that day. Um, so 
Councils have done it and the sky didn't fall. Um, Leicester recently passed a partial BDS policy and the Zionists piled in on them and took them judicial reviews, all sorts of things. Luckily, they had to pay Leicester City Council, I think, was it? I can't remember, 50 grand or 500 grand. It cost them dear and Leicester, Leicester, Leicester Council won that particular attempt to criminalise them. So, yeah, the fight will go on forever, but we'll win. Yeah. We have to be bold, don't we, and, uh, and stand strong. Solidarity is the key. Go on, Lizzie. Well, the, uh, the International Court of Human Rights, wasn't it? Was was it the was it that the court that was given uh, given rights to oversee Israel and to ex- interrogate in Israel? Um, but we we don't hear any more of it now. That was what three months ago. Was it three yeah, months but, ago? Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Anina or, or Mick, in terms of the International Criminal Court sort of looking at That's the Israeli yeah, war crimes? Criminal Court, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I would probably just go back to, you know, Israel's obligations under international law. There is no state on earth, to my knowledge, and I think this is right, that has violated more international law than Israel has, yet their their crime is not enforced they're, they're, and punishment is not um not met out to them um, they are not held responsible, there are these laws in place, there are so many laws that they've not upheld, so many human rights violations that they perpetuate time and time again and they get away with it and um, yeah I, I don't have the answer to that um, I don't know if Mick wants to come in there and, and make any comments um, if, the chair, if the chair allows me I'll come in yes no, of course, yeah, go ahead Mick yeah, there was a great victory in the European Court. The European Court, by the way, and the European Court of Human Rights, it's not, it's not, it's not contiguous with the E. It's not um, the same as the EU. Russia's a member, and Britain's still a member. Mm. And uh, some French BDS activists, who, in my opinion, are the the Manchester United to us, you know, yeah. as, uh, as yeah. a junior division. They're brilliant, and uh, they went to the court uh, because uh, Macron had. Uh, said that BDS was illegal and had criminalised it in various ways. The court smacked the French government very hard over the knuckles. Now, the French government's ignored it, but they got a firm, clear ruling in defence of BDS as a protected uh, democratic right to boycott. Um, So, I mean, that fight will go on, but whether we win in these tribunals or not, the key thing is a real dynamic public opinion. And I think the key thing is for the left for the real left to get involved in Palestine solidarity and to make their own contribution, their own insights to it, uh, because they also benefit from it. You're involved in a real living struggle for justice uh, where you have victories and you sometimes have defeats. And I think it's a great trade socialist. Uh, I, would ask, I would ask you to ask all your viewers to get involved. Um, Absolutely. Because, I was going to come to that at the end. Mate, Actually, we've, they, they've all been asking. Uh, we we love you, Mick, and where can we follow you and learn more? So, what's your? Have you got a Twitter handle or? Look, we do a daily WhatsApp post. Um, we send it straight to your phone. All you have to do is get in touch. Send us your phone number. And then you put our phone number on your phone to allow us to send you these WhatsApps. And uh, and I think you'll find that it's becoming very popular. An, ex, um, an ex-BBC Middle Eastern correspondent strongly recommends it. So does Palestine TV. Today's the sixth. Today's the fourth 
of August. And it's, um, we commemorate that marvellous human being. I get a lump in my throat when I think about a wonderful, great socialist, one of the great socialists of the 20th century. His name is Mark Marek Edelman. And he was one of the leaders of the fighters in the Jewish ghetto against the Nazis. Marek Edelman was a, an amazing fighter. Um, he survived the war, stayed in Poland, would have nothing to do with Zionism, uh, was, was very hostile to the crimes of the state of Israel. When he died, he got a state funeral in, uh, in, in Poland, and the Israelis just shunned him. Uh, nothing to do with him. He sent a letter as a fighter, as an experienced fighter in the Jewish ghetto, drawing parallels between his experience and that of the fighters in Gaza who were standing up to the Israelis. That drove the Zionists crazy because he was saying that the tradition of fighting a racist state that wants to drive you out uh, was one he was a, a giant uh, graduate of, and he was in solidarity with the people of Gaza. It was very memorate that today because it was, uh, it was actually on this day that he wrote his letter. We send a commemoration wow. every day and it can be very useful, uh, it can be exhilarating, it can be stories of uh, an Israeli crime, or it can be resistance or complicity or solidarity. How, how do people sign up for it, Mick? Get in touch with this number, if I may. Give it yes, to you. Yes, right, just, do, I mean, I'll stand in for a guy who, who does it. I don't, I don't do it, but I can, I can pass it on. 0795 uh, you know that number, so could could you repeat that more slow, slowly, please? 0795-800-2591. It's on the screen now for anybody who's watching, so uh, please use that and, uh, and, and, get in, and get in touch. And it goes out around the world to hundreds of people, California, uh, all over Britain and yeah. Well, that, yeah. that's what we need, isn't it? More, more uh, networking and Absolutely. solidarity between all all the different movements and groups, and never, never put one down or, or shut one out or close close one down. Always um, try and show solidarity for every single person that is making any effort whatsoever. We're about at the end of the uh, programme, but Nick, I wonder if you could maybe just uh, give us a little bit of uh, a background to this uh, point I made at the outset in the introduction, where you're the uh, only Scot who's been deemed to be free from any uh, racism by two Scottish courts. Tell, tell our viewers about that. Well, you couldn't make it up, could you? Five <laughs> of us went to, five of us were tried for racism. And over the two years of discussion, and we kept on saying, what the hell can it be? What have you said? What have you done? It turned out in court that it was racist to say the words end the siege of Gaza. Now, the judge threw it out, ridiculed it, but it took two years. Later, I and another guy spent three years in court. Not, not three years, but, you know, the process took three years. Uh, again, charged with racism because in 2014, a, a week or two after the massacre of uh, Protective Edge, when 2,200 Palestinians were killed, 551 children, and the ice cream freezers and the vegetable freezers were still filled with tiny corpses, we, we did a protest inside a shopping centre, and we alluded to, you know, to with a, with a placard with a blood symbol on it. And after three years, we discovered in Glasgow Sheriff Court that was racist. 
because we didn't really care about Palestinian blood, this was really a sly allusion to a medieval blood libel that yeah. Jews kidnapped Palis uh, Christian children and used their blood to make matzos. I mean, it's just grotesque, you know, it's grotesque, uh, the lengths to which people will go. And, of course, they never land a, a glove on us because it's preposterous. But, you know, my favorite story is the meeting at SOAS. It happened the night after uh, Omar Barghouti and uh, the founder of the BN, of BDS movement and Ronnie Casrills, a Jewish uh, veteran of the South African liberation struggle, meeting in SOAS. And some Zionist idiot, I know him, was shouting and bawling and muttering inanities. And one of the guys in the audience said, do you really believe that to the, to the heckler? The BBC website for the next 24 hours reported he was a victim for, of an anti-Semitic diatribe. Do you really believe that? Do you, Jew, do you really believe that? So we had the tape, we had the audio recording of the meeting, and the BBC removed the, the report. But that's how bizarre it gets. You know, you can't say, Jew, Jew, <laughs> I'm afraid to ask somebody if there's a bus Jew. You know, it's just, no, it's becoming no, preposterous. Well, Joe Bird was uh, was thrown out of the Labour Party, or suspended anyway, for using the term due process. And a play of words in, in a support meeting for Mark Wasn't. It's absolutely preposterous. Look, guys, we're out of time. Uh, thank you so much indeed to Amina and to Mick. It's been an excellent uh, contribution. Apologies, everybody who's been watching for my technical difficulties. And uh, that uh, did slightly disrupt uh, proceedings uh, when I interrupt Nick. It was only me that was having the difficulties, nobody else. But anyway, apologies for that. I hope that didn't ruin your enjoyment of the programme too much this evening. And uh, I would urge anybody who's watching to uh, get behind and support the uh, Scottish uh, Palestine Solidarity Campaign. They're an excellent organisation to do some brilliant work and, you know, use that uh, telephone number to get in touch and, and, and keep in uh, contact with them so you can keep up to date with their activities. Thank you very much indeed for watching this evening. We'll be back again next week at the same time. Thanks a lot and good night.